Hi, my name is Storm and I'm a heroin addict. Just like pipe bandits. <laughs> um, my sobriety date is 6-23-2017. Um, yeah, welcome if you're new. Uh, nothing that I say matters. Anything that I do tonight doesn't matter. Um, that's to say, most of you aren't going to be here in a year. And in a year, even if you are, none of you are going to be like, remember when Storm said this on, at Wednesday night HA. That's not how this works, right? Yet, I'm so convinced of my own self-importance that I'm really worried about killing it right now, you know? Um, yes, so. I was in a relationship a few months ago. And I know that's not how these things start, but strap in. Um, <laughs> you know, and I, I, I went like a few years without dating in the program, right? Mostly out of fear, fear of women, fear of judgment, fear of like how people would, what people would say or think about me. And if there's one thing that I do, that I think I do correctly, it's that I champion the experience in the program. You know, I don't really do so with the book or any of the work. Being here in rooms like this, talking to my sponsor, sharing, or even doing an inventory didn't, doesn't keep people sober because everybody that did that shit would stay sober, but they don't. And that didn't ultimately, that doesn't ultimately prepare me to take on the challenges of my life. The, the reason why I stay sober, I think, aside from the fact that God chooses to keep me sober, is that I'm a willing participant in my life today, right? And I'm willing to take on those challenges and I'm willing to pursue those experiences and not check out anymore. Um, yes, yeah, so, I mean, all the, all the mental gymnastics and the rationalization and sharing and talking to other people and getting advice doesn't open me up to an experience like that. Um, I just had to do it, right? And yeah, it didn't, it didn't end well. Um, and then I got brought right back to those feelings when I was eight years old, my dad physically assaulted my mother and um, my parents didn't raise me, you know? My parents didn't want me. They, uh, my mom was 21, my dad was over 30. And, you know, they, they didn't want me. My father offered my mother thousands of dollars to have me aborted, which when I found that out, like I leveraged that against him into my adult life, you know? Um, and most of my like earliest memories, I consider maybe not so much anymore, but, you know, I, I thought it was stuff that I was gonna have to carry with me for the rest of my life. You know, I got introduced to sex at a really young age, mostly because my parents were so open, people broke into our house. My dad was violent before he straight up beat my mom. Um, and so, you know, that's, that's sort of the environment that I grew up in. Once that happened though, uh, I was taken in by my grandmother and uh, for a long time, like that's, that's what started this whole thing, right? Um, and then once I found drugs and alcohol, that's when like something clicked in my head and it didn't fix me. It didn't change anything around me. It didn't make my situation better, but I didn't give a flying fuck anymore about how bad it was, right? And that's why it clicked. Um, so, but yeah, I'm, I'm doing really well lately, you know, considering I, I went a few months after that girl broke up with me doing really bad. Um, and it's, it's weird 
but I'm actually doing probably the best that I've done in a while now. And it only, literally, I didn't want to do any of this shit like a month ago. I didn't go to meetings and I, I told my sponsor uh, I wasn't going to work with him anymore. Um, what else did I do? Oh, I, I just, I'm still resentful of a shit ton of people that I know. Um, I still, I'm not really doing the work. Um, I feel really good. And <laughs> I know, right? It makes no fucking sense. Um, you're not supposed to say that in a meeting, right? But what I think is happening, frankly, is that I try to fix myself through this work, through pursuing like these conversations with people. There's a lot more newcomers than I thought they were going to be, honestly. I don't know if this is going to go over your heads, but you know, doing an inventory, working with my sponsor, I try to fix myself by doing that stuff the same way I pursue a head change through drugs and alcohol. You know, there's something wrong with me. I need to change what's wrong with me to open myself up to the world. That's what I'm talking about, like the experience of sobriety, because just living it seems to be doing it for me. And I seem to be realizing acceptance in a way that I haven't before. Um, yeah. I don't know. It's like um, walking through life is sometimes like walking through a war zone, you know, because I'm a I'm I mean, you can probably tell already, I think way too much. And sometimes, you know, when we say like either trust God, I'm not trust God, but, you know, um, you're either in your will or God's will. Right. And Frankly, I don't think it matters because if I'm wondering what God's will is, I'm probably not doing the thing that I should be doing. If I'm trying to rationalize what the best route to take is, I'm probably not doing what I should be doing in that moment, right? Um, so walking through life to me sometimes, man, it's like walking through a war zone. That sounds really dramatic, but say like, say I'm there with you and we're walking through, I don't know, Warsaw in World War II, right? How this is going to go is I'm going to look at you and be like, hey, don't look over there. Look at me. Keep walking forward. That doesn't matter. That's going to fuck you up right now. Don't look at it. Keep moving forward. And that's what this program is doing sometimes, you know, like the more heady shit that I get into, the more that I think about like what the best route to take is the, the further I'm pulled back, you know? So anyway, I'm living with my grandmother, right? And I'm about eight years old. This went on for like four years. And those were some of the best years of my life, dude. My grandmother loved me. I was like the youngest grandchild, but I was the first boy with like the last name and that mattered, right? Um, to like the, look at that. Um, all of my cousins hated it, right? That I was her favorite. And um, yeah, like I just, uh, it was really good. She protected me, man. My parents didn't want anything to do with me. They were, my mother was emotionally volatile and just wanted a party all the time. She would go out drinking with her friends even when she lived with me and my grandmother. My dad was, you know, violent. He cheated on my mom. He picked up some skeezer at a bar and then like drove her home with me in the car and then told me not to tell my mother. And then when my mom asked me, you know, I told him or told her because I didn't know what else to do. And it's not like that I, did, I was a child. I didn't understand what's happening, but I just remember feeling like I was betraying my father's trust. Right. And that's what really like, like fueled my resentment against my parents for a long time was just feeling third party to this like super volatile relationship that I didn't realize 
Like, cause when you're a kid, you just want to love your parents. Right. So you don't have that, like that basis to be like, this is fucked up and fuck you for making me a part of it. You just feel like you're in the middle of this like whirlwind, you know, and piecing it all together as years went by was really hard for me. My grandmother protected me from all of that. You know, she was the person, she was 70 years old. She would walk down the street from our house to my school and walk me home. And she like that, make me food. It, it was the most stable time in my life, you know, because before I was 18, I lived in probably like eight homes uh, with different configurations of my family members, you know? So it was really good, but at the same time, I'm being raised by a 70 year old woman. You know, I'm not trying to go home to my grandmother about like who I have a crush on or like who picked on me. You know, these aren't conversations that happen like in my life, right? So I'm closed off from the world. And when I get introduced to drugs and alcohol, which I started smoking pills when I was 14, because other, other kids were doing it. I don't even know really if I did that for alcohol first, but that just clicked. You know, like I said, I didn't care anymore. I didn't care about how bad it was. I didn't care about trying to make sense of my emotions or how much I hated my parents. You know, it was just, everything was fine. And I could just like relax, you know, because of what that stuff did for me. And it just went on for like a while. I was going to school fucked up. Um, people knew it, but uh, some people did protect me. Like as much as I like, I'm talking about like being really cool and like smoking a bunch of pills when I was 14, I was still just a dorky, nerdy Asian kid, honestly, you know? Um, so some of my like teachers and like the people at my school, they did protect me um, until I got kicked out before my senior year. You know, I just never felt like I was like cool or I was like a part of like this world. I always felt like I was being victimized by the establishment or the people, my peers around me. I never felt okay with myself, you know? So when I started doing that stuff, none of that mattered anymore, you know? So I like knew what I was gonna do and I just kept doing it. Um, I went to college, got into heroin because in Hawaii, you can't really get into heroin. I mean, you can if you have like, it's like hundred dollars, like, like a gram. It's fucking point. Sorry, yeah, point. Yeah, yeah. And so uh, when I came up here, it was a lot more available, and um, yeah. It was just who I was for like a while, um, but I was also like, I knew I needed help. Like there was no point when I was using and drinking that I thought to myself, this is normal. I remember like being in college, doing a bunch of blow all night and then like staring at myself in the mirror at 6 a.m., bleeding out of my nose. And I had the thought to myself, this is when people are waking up. This is when you know normal people go to work and I'm here. And I was completely all right with that. There wasn't like anything. The first step was easy for me because I went into it feeling like I fully admitted to myself that none, nothing that I did was normal. Um, yeah. I got put on, okay, honestly, dude, I'm just gonna acknowledge that like, I just called a gram $100. I know that's cheap now and I just feel really dumb. <laughs> like, dude, you, you just walk in here with a bunch of junkies and you fuck up like that. It's like, yeah, dude, they're judging the shit out of you right now, you know? Um, so yeah, but uh, you know, 
honestly, I don't, I don't have this story that's like a greatest hits moment. I was never homeless. I never really robbed anybody. Um, so sometimes when people like share at these meetings and they have like this greatest hit story where it's just like hilarious and there's all this debauchery and they're, they're doing a bunch of random shit. You know, I feel like I don't offer that. Um, most of my stuff is like highly emotional childhood stuff, right? But at this point in my college life, it's when I fully checked out, okay? It's when I, I basically went home to Hawaii. I got put on suboxone maintenance. And I got, I got put on suboxone maintenance for a very good reason. It's the only reason I think anybody's ever put on suboxone maintenance is that I'm retarded, you know? <laughs> no reason anybody should do that shit. Um, and I cross state lines, you know? So like when you cross state lines and you're on suboxone maintenance, it gives you a very good excuse to go find another doctor that's willing to prescribe you subutex. <laughs> and that's what I did, you know? Um, And I, I just gave up at this point. Um, I lived with my mom. I lived in her house. She cooked me dinner every night. I didn't have a job. And this went on for four years, you know? And I just gave up. I, I fully admitted to myself that I was just not gonna be normal. And this was just gonna be my life. And I isolated for four fucking years. I did coke and played video games with my sister. And like, just, it was not cool. It, it was lame as shit. You know, I I do a bunch of ecstasy and throw up in the toilet because for some reason I just cannot like ingest Molly. Um, <laughs> I don't I don't know why still to this day. Um, and I gave up. I just never thought that I was going to be the person that I am right now. Um, I wanted to die, but I didn't want to kill myself. And then you know, years went by. You know, it was one thing to like sit there and just like think that things were going to change or like whatever you know time, I was still pretty young I was like 20 you know but then four years went by and I freaked the fuck out because I realized that nothing was going to change unless I did and I still have the the journal that I wrote in like every once in a while and I wrote in a lot before I got put into treatment um and it's crazy I wanted to kill my family I wanted to do I was so angry and basically, the only reason I know that this happened so close to when I went to rehab is because of that journal. But basically, a few months before I went to rehab, my father beat the shit out of me and he knocked my teeth out. And he was trying. My dad's like six feet tall and like was like 200 pounds at least at the time. Like, I know, I don't know why, like what Gene I didn't get, but <laughs> he was literally just trying to lift me up. And, you know, I was light as shit up, like 170 pounds because I didn't do anything, but he like one meal a day and do a bunch of subs and smoke weed and shit. And he was trying to throw me down into a closet on my back so he could just beat the shit out of me. And I, once I realized what that was, what he was trying to do, I realized like what was at stake and all I could do was clinch until he just socked me right in the face and he knocked my teeth out. And then he was pissed because like, then it was like pretty obvious what he did, you know? So this was at my grandmother's house and then i ran out there called his his girlfriend his now wife a whore and uh yeah <laughs> and uh i mean that was pretty much that my my grandmother 
wouldn't um, take my side. And she just told me, you need to forgive him. He's your father. And I was very hurt. Like it was just, um, I don't know, man, just imagine if it was you, you know, you had your teeth knocked out by your own father and your grandmother, who's your parental figure, your maternal figure looks at you and says, just forgive him. You know, I was angry and resentful. And that's when I got really fired up about treatment. Um, I had a card that I kept in my wallet. I went, I was in an outpatient program in Santa Barbara for like a week when I was like going to college. And I still have the card in my wallet. And I remember pulling it out, I looked at it, called the number and just phone call after phone call, bounced around intake specialist. And they booked me like whatever treatment center in the Bay Area in Marin County. And um, I had to fight people to go there. My family, I don't know if they didn't believe me or they didn't want to, um, I don't know. I think my grandmother didn't want me to leave home, but basically, uh, because the money thing wasn't an issue. Hawaii insurance is very good. I'm from Hawaii and it's like, it's the raddest insurance you can have. I don't know why, um, but it was pretty much like the cost was inconsequential and I fought my family to be there. And I, that's something you don't hear in these rooms, but I fought to be in like that treatment center. You know, and I came in, my detox took like two weeks, you know, and I didn't want to do any of this. I didn't want to do this program. You know, I specifically told the intake specialist, like, no 12, eight, 12 step shit. And they fucking fooled me, man. Like, <laughs> here I am, you know, they got me. Um, so, you know, I get in the van and we go up to meetings and all of that stuff. And the first time that I related in one of these rooms was when um, it was a speaker meeting, it was a younger guy. Was probably, I don't know, probably like close to how old I am now. And he shared about dumping a body in a car after an overdose. And that was the first time I related in the rooms. Um, and that was the first time I thought, okay, maybe I can do this. And I talked to that guy, got his number. Soon after I was on a plane down here to Orange County and I've been doing this since then. I didn't take on this whole thing at once, you know? Um, I, I didn't want to do any of it, you know, but I was lonely and making friends seemed all right. You know, it seemed like an okay thing to do. And so I made some friends and then one by one between like the book and sponsorship and going to meetings and believing in God, all that stuff came naturally over time, just made the right friends. Um, and yeah, I've been here for like three years now, pushing four, um, You know, it's hard um, being in the program. It's not good or bad. I think that because I'm talking to one of my friends now about like what I guess the right way to share is I'm a bit of a downer, I guess, when I share. Cole says I'm too pessimistic. Um, but I also thoroughly resent the people that come up here and they're like, Oh my God, it's great to be here like on a Friday night. And thank God for this program. I'm just, I do not feel that at all. You know, like I'm not that person. Um, so it, it's like, like I came in and I did the work and I've stayed sober ever since, you know, and 
like I said, there's no real, real thing to this, you know. Um, but the the more that I I the more time that I spend in this program, the more I just let go, you know. Um, and I said this on Monday night, like, it's like, you know, you can't say that to somebody and they just understand what that means. You know, it's like when, when the old timer tells the newcomer, like, just trust God or, or just, just turn it over. Like, you don't understand what that means. Like it, the, the, the solution isn't communicated in words. If it were, if it were, then the book would be five fucking pages long and everybody that, that just talked to each other in one of these rooms would stay sober, but that's not how it works, you know? Um, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I, I just, it's not easy. It, it can be hard, but, uh, you know, I ran from my own life for so long that when I got really bad, when I was isolating in the house with my mother, it was because I gave the fuck up on life, you know, and these programs give me the opportunity take that shit back, you know, and be a part of my life today and be there for like my family. You know, the greatest plot twist of my life is the fact that my father now is like my biggest uh, supporter. I made amends to him two years ago, two years ago. And, um, I didn't want to do it, but it got, things got really bad for me, frankly, because I was lonely and like, I, I couldn't rationalize like how to separate spiritual from material in this program. So I sought like the highest work that I knew I could do. And that was making amends to my father. Um, and so I flew home, which is Hawaii, and I didn't want to do this at all but i knew i had to so i called him and he came by the house and he, he's the one that like kind of brought up the heavy shit first so that made it super easy you know he started to just he i think he started talking about he, he started talking about wanting me aborted and then i got to stop him and just be like hey it doesn't matter anymore i don't i don't care i'm sorry that i put you in the family through everything that i did you better now and i'm not doing that shit anymore and he's, he's a real tough guy, you know what I mean? And he, he was crying, but he wouldn't show it. And my mother's still drinking and using. Um, last time I was home, she wouldn't leave her room most days. She stayed in her room for hours at a time. I don't, I don't really, I don't really do anything about that, you know? Um, but my dad, you know, is, He's probably the only person in my family that like emotionally is there for me when things are hard. And I never thought I'd be calling my dad and just be like, dad, I don't like, I want a girlfriend. I don't know what the fuck I'm doing. I don't know what you did when you were my age, but I don't know what the fuck I'm doing. Um, and that's all that is, you know, he's just there for me. You know, he's the only person in my family that's just like, it'll work out. You have options. Like, don't worry. My, my other family members don't give a shit. Um, and, uh, yeah, I don't know. Um, I never thought that like this would do this for me. Like if, if, if you are here right now and you have a problem, believe me in God, because I did when I first got here, 
I do too. I do too right now. You know, I have a problem believing in God a lot of the time, but I make it work for me. You know, there are these great like transcendent moments, right? Countered with moments where I realize how fleeting everything is, not in a bad way, but I'm able to humble myself and just be like, nothing that I do fucking matters. You know, John might be thinking a lot of shit about me right now. Who the fuck cares? <laughs> I don't know. I mean, it's just like, a. I think the one thing that clicked for me recently, because I don't think anybody's understanding what I'm like referring to is that like, I fear judgment, you know, I, I, I'm a people pleaser. I want to make people like me, right? But none of that fucking matters. You know, people are judging me no matter what. I walk in this room, stand with my back against the wall. Somebody be judging me either way. So why am I afraid of that? You know what I mean? People are going to dislike me no matter what. There's no point in trying to appease them. And the people that do like me will probably appreciate the fact that I'm pretty authentic. I tell people how I feel. So I don't like you. I'll tell you your face. Um, I don't know. Oh shit. The last time I was here, I think I made the joke that if leading were a game of paper football, I would probably win every time. I wouldn't go over, you know? Um, yeah. I don't know, man. Yeah, I think we're going pretty blank. <laughs> yeah. I guess, I mean, you know. If you're new, I would encourage you to check out what these programs offer you. Because when I was in your position, I didn't understand what was being offered to me. Right? When I was sitting in the back row, detoxing from subs, I didn't understand that what I have today was on the table. I know that. So if you're here and you're like, fuck this, like I get that. I get like that too. I was probably like that. I was like that like three weeks ago, you know? Um, but I didn't understand back then that I was gonna have what I have today. And I need to remind myself even now that I have options if I keep doing this, you know? Um, I have things today that I, like, maybe I didn't deliver it the right way, but really, like, me having a relationship with my father today is the greatest plot twist. I, I didn't think that that was gonna happen to me. The fact that I have a better relationship with my father than I do my mother, if you told me that that was gonna happen, I was gonna be better with my dad than my mom, and I was gonna be sober, and I was gonna hold hands with a bunch of other junkies and pray out three times a week, I probably would have tried to kill myself faster, you know? <laughs> but it's actually pretty good. So if you don't get that, just, just stick around like I did because I didn't want it either. And I, I'm still here and I just give everything a shot and it seems to work out, you know? Um, that's all I got. Thank you for letting me. <laughs>